48K News. It's 11 o'clock, I'm Todd Harding. Tonight's headlines. A landmark court ruling finds the government and the police in breach of the Bill of Rights over the lack of unique IDs on display for cops, policing anti-government protests and the insufficiently independent police complaints mechanism. The Journalists Association, one of the parties that lodged a judicial review, welcomes the ruling, but government supporters say the court got it all wrong. The High Court has made a landmark ruling that the complaints mechanism against the police is in breach of the Bill of Rights, which protects people from torture or cruel, inhuman or degrading treatment. It also ruled that the police are also in violation of the bill by failing to display any unique identification numbers or marks while policing the anti-government unrest last year. Timmy Sung reports. High Court Judge Anderson Chow ruled in favour of a judicial review lodged by a number of alleged victims of police violence and the Journalist Association. He ruled that under the Bureau of Rights, the government has a duty to investigate police officers suspected of committing torture or subjecting people to cruel, inhumane or degrading treatment. The investigation must be independent from those implicated, he said, and must be capable of leading to the identification and punishment of those involved. But he said the government fall short on both counts. The court said it is clear that the Internal Police Investigations Unit, the complaints against police officers, is not independent of the force, being comprised of career officers. The independent watchdog, meanwhile, lacks the investigative powers it needs and has no authority to overturn Capo's findings or conclusions. As such, he said, the existing system is inadequate for the government to discharge its obligation under the Bill of Rights. The judge also found the Commissioner of Police to also have breached the bill by failing to ensure that officers accused of wrongdoing can be identified by the complainants. The IPCC chairman, Anthony Neo, has defended the current complaints against police office, saying the department had been operating independently from other units within the force, and observers from his watchdog were also stringent in their monitoring work. The Hong Kong Journalists Association welcomed the judgment, saying police officers should immediately start wearing and displaying their identification numbers. Former teacher Yang Si Chung, who also filed a judicial review after suffering an eye injury during a protest in June last year, says it's too early to say if justice has been served because it's not yet known if the government will appeal. He told RTHK the ruling came too late as there had already been many instances of alleged police brutality. Of course we have to move forward. To be honest, I don't foresee conflicts between police and the public in the near future, or an urgent need to obtain police officers' identities. But this case has an important message, that there are flaws in the IPCC. Even the judge thinks it's not enough for those who suffer police brutality to find justice via the IPCC. It's more important to us, the victims of police brutality, because even the judge thinks there is room for improvement. So maybe there are new alternatives for us to seek justice in the future. Pro-government lawmaker and lawyer Junius Ho reacted angrily to the court judgment, saying it's a joke for the court to rule that police have to identify themselves when they're dealing with riots. What sort of situation we are confronting? It is riot. Now, if that sort of the scenario is considered to be the most appropriate situation to request the officer to identify themselves before they, the mobster identify themselves, I think you're just joking. You're putting the cart in front of a horse. Human rights is not just a human rights in absolute term. And human rights has to be exercised with reasonable thinking person when in a situation which is of dire consequence, dangerous and with full peril, 
We don't go through all this sort of thing. Mr Ho also defended the current mechanism for handling complaints against police officers, saying the risk of unfair investigations is already greatly reduced. Families of some of the 12 Hong Kong activists who've been detained on the mainland for almost three months said they've received handwritten letters purportedly from them, but said the suspicious contents have added to their worries. The group was believed to be fleeing to Taiwan when they were arrested on the high seas. A concerned group linked to the family said the letters contained familiar handwriting and stressed their living well. But they said the letters were likely written using the same template as they contained simplified Chinese characters, a mainland writing style and similar descriptions of life in detention. You're listening to RTHK. The time is coming up to five minutes past eleven. The police say their national security branch is already looking into suspected violations of the national security law during a march at the Chinese university earlier today. Jimmy Choi has more. Dozens of people wearing black graduation gowns and face masks marched to the Chinese university's mall, chanting anti-government protest slogans and holding up banners and flags. In a statement, the police said some people had displayed what it called pro-independence banners and flags and chanted pro-independence slogans while gathering on the Chinese university's campus. It said it strongly condemns those who blatantly violated the national security law on the university's campus, adding that it attaches great importance to the case. It said its national security department has taken over the case and started its probe. Meanwhile, the Education Bureau slammed those who organised the march, warning they may have breached the ban on gatherings of more than four people and violated the national security law. Health officials say the COVID-19 situation in Hong Kong may be worsening, with 12 new coronavirus infections and around 20 preliminary positive cases today. Jimmy Choi again. Among the latest confirmed cases, four are locally acquired infections and two are without a known source. Dr Wong Ka-Hing, the controller of the Centre for Health Protection, says if all the preliminary cases are confirmed and there are more cases without a clear source, it will mean that the silent chain of transmission in the community is continuing. The situation could worsen abruptly, he says. One of the patients without a known source of infection is a 75-year-old businesswoman who went to the Starlight Dance Club on Lockhart Road in Wan on Saturday. Officials said at least five other people who have tested preliminary positive had also been there recently. The CHP's Dr Chuang Shukwan warns there might have been an outbreak at the dance studio. According to our preliminary information, many of them, if not all, went to the uh, club uh, on 14th of November. So we suspect there may be an outbreak on that day, but we cannot exclude other days. Dr. Chuan says some of the suspected COVID patients went to the venue quite frequently. She says dance instructors and students dance in pairs at the studio, adding that the authorities are trying to find out whether live music has been played at the venue. She says two dance instructors also taught students at another venue, Heavenly Dance in Shenwan. Dr. Chuan is urging anyone who went to the Starlight Dance Club on November the 14th to contact the CHP so they can be tested for the virus. Former pro-democracy lawmakers Chu Hoi Dick, Ray Chan and Ted Hoy have been released on bail after appearing in court accused of attacking other legislators with noxious substances. Here again is Jimmy Choi. 
The trio faced charges of contempt of LegCo by creating a disturbance during a meeting on June the 4th and unlawfully and maliciously administering a nauseous substance with the intent to injure, aggrieve or annoy. Mr Ho is further charged with contempt over a separate meeting on May the 28th and with trying to poison LegCo president Andrew Leung. Some of the alleged attacks involve foul-smelling liquids splashed in the council, while one incident featured a rotten plant. West Kowloon magistrate Mei Chung approved the defence request to adjourn the case to February the 11th, pending a quarter-final appeal decision on whether to hear an appeal on another contempt of LegCo case involving disqualified lawmaker Leung Kwok Hong. Mr Leung has been prosecuted for snatching a stack of documents from a government official during a LegCo meeting in 2016. dozen supporters turn up for the three former lawmakers' hearing, with Mr Chu describing the prosecutions as political suppression. It is an honour for me as a political representative of Hong Kong people to face prosecution from the dictatorship caused by our actions to stop, to stop the passage of the National Anthem Ordinance. It is our duty to fight for Hong Kong people, and we did just that. Mr Chu also says he's grateful to the European Union for showing concern over the case. We are not alone in the fight against dictatorship, and history has told us that appeasement to dictators doesn't work. Mr Chan, meanwhile, says the government and pro-establishment camp have been trying to completely stifle all protests in LegCo over the past couple of years. And it's clear the administration is continuing its crackdown on the pan-democratic camp, even though all its lawmakers have quit LegCo. Jimmy Choi reporting. Foreign ministers from the countries that comprise the so-called Five Eyes Alliance have demanded Beijing stop undermining Hong Kong's rights under the Joint Declaration and the Basic Law, saying the imposition of new rules to disqualify elected legislators appears to be part of a campaign to silence critics in the SAR. Richard Pine has details. The foreign ministers of the UK, Australia, Canada and New Zealand and the US Secretary of State reiterated their serious concern over Beijing's decision last week that paved the way for authorities to disqualify four pro-democracy lawmakers. The decision to disqualify Alvin Young, Dennis Kwok, Kwok Ka Kee and Kenneth Leung precipitated the mass resignation of LegCo's remaining pan-democratic legislators in protest. The Five Eyes Alliance says following the introduction of the national security law and the decision to push back the 2020 LegCo election by at least a year, this move had further undermined the SAR's high degree of autonomy and rights and freedoms. It said Beijing's actions were a clear breach of its international obligations under the Sino-British Joint Declaration. The alliance says there appears to be a concerted campaign to silence all critical voices and also referred to charges laid against a number of former lawmakers as well as actions it said had undermined the freedom of the city's vibrant media. It urged the central authorities to reconsider their actions and immediately reinstate the disqualified lawmakers. Last Saturday, the government hit out at foreign government's criticism of the disqualifications, saying accusations levelled against authorities were politically motivated and had an ulterior motive. It said the decision was constitutional, lawful and necessary. But China has rebuked Britain, Australia, the US, New Zealand and Canada over the criticism of Beijing's actions in Hong Kong. 
A foreign ministry statement expressed strong dissatisfaction and resolute opposition against those countries after they criticised new powers allowing the SAR government to dismiss the four pan-democratic lawmakers. The group known as the Five Eyes had called for the pan-democrats to be reinstated. Foreign Ministry spokesman Zhao Lijian used stark terms to warn the countries to stay out of China's affairs. The Chinese never make trouble and are never afraid of anything. No matter if they have five or ten eyes, if they dare to damage China's sovereignty, security and development, they should be careful or their eyes will be plucked out. In a speech at the Asia-Pacific Cooperation Summit, President Xi Jinping has said countries need to work together to achieve global prosperity and to beat the coronavirus pandemic. In a veiled reference to tensions with the United States, President Xi spoke of how China would seek openness in trade and added that no country could develop by keeping its doors closed. Mike Pompeo has become the first U.S. Secretary of State to visit a Jewish settlement in the occupied West Bank. Mr. Pompeo toured a winery in a settlement close to Ramallah. He then went on to visit the Israeli-occupied Golan Heights. The Palestinian politician Mustafa Barghouti told the BBC's both visits were unacceptable and seemed part of an effort to make it harder for Joe Biden to seek a Middle East peace deal. In my opinion, Pompeo and Trump are uh, running a very provocative policy and they are trying to create difficult facts for Mr. Biden and his administration. They're trying to create what they think could become irreversible facts on the ground that would destroy the potential and possibility of two-state solution and peace in this region. The Prime Minister of Thailand, Prayut Chan-ocha, says his government will use all laws to take action against opposition protesters found to have breached them. Mr Prayut said demonstrators could damage the country and the monarchy if the situation was not addressed. His statement did not specify whether he was referring to an article of law which forbids anyone from insulting the monarchy. The IMS says the global economic recovery is continuing, but there are signs it may be losing momentum as coronavirus infections surge again. In a new report, it predicts an uneven and partial recovery next year, warning the health crisis is likely to leave deep, unequal scars. It's the BBC's Andrew Walker. The IMF says that recent indicators suggest the pace of the recovery may be slowing amid a resurgence of infections. The virus, the report says, has left tens of millions unemployed, especially low-skilled workers, women and young people. It would have been much worse, the IMF says, had it not been for the steps taken by governments and central banks, which will need to be maintained until the crisis is passed. Those measures have led to a surge in government debt, which will add to future challenges. A reminder of our top stories tonight. A landmark court ruling finds the government and the police in breach of the Bill of Rights over the lack of unique IDs on display for cops policing anti-government protests and the insufficiently independent police complaints mechanism. The Journalists Association, one of the parties that lodged a judicial review, welcomes the ruling, but government supporters say the court got it all wrong. The news from RTHK. RTHK. It's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's News Wrap programme. 
The High Court has delivered a landmark ruling that found both the government and the police in breach of Bill of Rights protections against torture or cruel or degrading treatment. The judge says the government fell foul of the law by failing to put in place a sufficiently independent complaints mechanism such that police officers guilty of abuses can be properly identified, investigated and punished. And it says the police had acted in breach of the bill by failing to place unique identification numbers or markers on officers policing last year's anti-government protests. Anna-Marie Evans asked Claudia Yip from the Hong Kong Human Rights Monitor what she made of the judgment. I welcome the decision and um, I hope it will... I hope the government will genuinely follow up with the, with the decision and to set up a truly independent police monitoring mechanism and end impunity enjoyed by the police um, at once. But it's rather sad to see these points have to be made by the High Court when the civil society and the United Nations human rights experts have been reiterating problems with the existing police monitoring mechanism for years and outcrying and describing the, um, the problem with police not identifying themselves. So what do you think the government should do now? They have to immediately re uh, remedial, um, um, ratify the situation. They have to stop um, the police from using the call signs and identifying themselves properly and also start to work on a, a proper police monitoring mechanism that is truly independent and have the necessary powers to investigate cases. But do you expect our current government to do that? Well, it's the court's decision, so I I hope it has some bearing on them. If they do not do so, I am I, I am wondering if that could make the current uh, police monitoring system uh, unlawful, or um, it will definitely further um, tarnish the image of the Hong Kong police force. Do you expect an appeal from the government? I well, we'll see that soon, but. Um, to appeal or not, they have to understand that the, the problem is real, that um, the, the, mon the monitoring mechanism is not working. It's, it has been criticized for many, many years by civil, civil society and the United Nations. They cannot ignore these. And also the, poli the police and the government they also have to look at taking responsibility for all the things that, um, that were caused by police enjoying impunity and using excessive force. Someone has to go, the police commissioners, the uh, commanders of the, of the operations, and even the secretary for security, they have to take responsibility. But some police have been doxxed by uh, protesters last year? Well, if that is a problem, and, and the government has already, the, the Department of Justice, they have already taken the action to apply for uh, uh, injunction order, and that has been uh, actually implemented and enforced. As pointed out by the judge in a, in a, in a high court judgment, the um, boxing um, um, problem cannot override the need to have a um, working mechanism for seeking accountability, especially it's about the police force using public powers, using force on the citizens. They have to be held accountable. There has to be a functioning mechanism to do that, and the current system clearly cannot, and it has been a problem for years. It needs to be ratified now. Now, the police have said that they've acknowledged uh, the ruling. 
they have acknowledged the ruling, then they have to take the action. I remember the IPCC chairperson have have told the police to please put your identified identification number back on your uniform in June last year when 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 things began, and they ignored that uh, recommendation. So um, and and the problem of impunity, police excessive use of force uh, has only gotten worse. So they, they acknowledging the decision is not enough. They have to acknowledge the problem and start doing something with it. A head teachers group has slammed a new government policy encouraging schools to suspend classes if a handful of students fall ill as confusing and unnecessary. Candice Wong has the story. A wave of upper respiratory tract infections has been sweeping through local schools across the territory, prompting the government to suspend all in-person classes at kindergartens and daycare centres for a fortnight until November 27th. And on Tuesday evening, the Centre for Health Protection suddenly tightened up recommendations for primary and secondary schools as well, saying they are advised to shut down for at least one week if at least three students students fall ill in the same class over a four-day period. The CHP had said this would give time for students and staff to be tested for COVID-19 as a precaution. Previously, schools had been directed to suspend only the affected classes, not the entire institution, for at least three days to give time for COVID tests. Chang Yongpong, the honorary chairman of the Aided Primary School Heads Association, was directly affected by the abrupt change. His school reported several URTI cases one day ahead of the policy shift, and he was left confused about what he was supposed to do. Mr. Zheng told RTHK he only found out about the new recommendations from media reports and had to repeatedly seek clarification from the CHP before deciding to suspend only the affected classes. He said officials should have informed schools directly about the change that he said was confusing and hard to follow. The principal also has reservations about what he said was the overly stringent criteria for suspension, saying three students with coughs and runny noses shouldn't be enough to warrant the entire school to stop classes. This standard is super high, it's unprecedented, he said. Tai Tak Ching, the head of the Wan Chai District Headmasters Conference, told the same RTHK program that the new rule shouldn't apply to secondary schools as most URTI outbreaks have affected kindergartens and primary schools. He said lesson times for secondary pupils have already been greatly slashed and the situation is particularly hard for students in higher forms who are preparing for public exams. Mr Tai added that he wasn't consulted by officials either. Disposable masks may have helped limit the spread of COVID-19 in Hong Kong over the past months, but a green group says the environment is having to pay a heavy price. Greener's Action estimates that 2 billion disposable masks have been thrown out here since the pandemic began. It conducted a survey which found that only 10% of respondents use reusable masks. The group's Stanley Wong told Natalie Ching the government should do more to promote the use of reusable masks and counter myths that they're not as safe or hygienic as disposable ones. One of the very important ingredients in the disposable mask is PPE. PPE is a kind of plastic that is very difficult to decompose. Disposable masks are transferred to the landfills 
in the、uh, landfill, the sunlight cannot penetrate into the soil, so it is very hard for the PP to decompose. If they are、uh, discarded in the oceans, it takes amounts、uh, about、uh, 450 years to decompose. So we believe that using disposable mass. It's not a very sustainable solution. What is the common misunderstanding that the public have towards、uh, mass? We believe that it is quite a misunderstanding about the protection、uh, power and also the hygienic problem. Because we can see,、uh, we have a survey about twenty、uh, reusable masks in the market. Actually, they have basic protective ability. For example, they got BFE, PFE, and VFE with over 95% filtration efficiency. So it is almost the same as some level one disposable mask. If you use a reusable mask for a whole day, and the mask get wet, it is also not very hygienic. Hong Kong is densely populated, especially、mm-hmm. during rush hours. They are very packed in public transport.、Mm-hmm. How would you ease their concern that、uh, even reusable masks are capable to protect them from COVID-19?、Mm-hmm. I think the government should have some guidelines for the general public to take reference. If they can clearly state that which kind of visual mask with what kind of standards can be used in different situations, this could allow people to have a more clear. Guidance on how to use reusable masks, and also、uh, we believe that in some、uh, low risk period, especially when the、uh, transmission become lower for the COVID-19, for the past one to two months there are less、uh, transmission rate. So during this period,、uh, maybe this would be better for using reusable masks. For example. If we just go down and buy a breakfast, it may be a quite safe situation for us to use our reusable mask. So I think、uh, we have to use it wisely. The Australian Defence Force has published a report into its investigation of elite soldiers serving in Afghanistan, scrutinising 57 incidents between 2005 and 2016. The report details 23 incidents of alleged unlawful killings of Afghan civilians and prisoners by 25 Special Forces personnel. Patrols are said to have acted without restraint and taken the law into their own hands. Dr. Samantha Crompvertz carried out the initial research that led to the official inquiry. She told the BBC's Bola Masuro more about the allegations detailed in the Brereton report. So the details of the findings are shocking in that they describe、uh, incidents that were not、uh, that didn't occur in the heat of battle. They were deliberate, repeated,、uh, and targeted war crimes, and. They involved, in some instances, very influential non-commissioned officers encouraging junior soldiers to execute prisoners. So we're talking here about extrajudicial killings. Yes. You've talked about a culture of concealing that soldiers were exceptional at concealing their behaviour. What kind of things were they doing, and how were they deliberately covering their tracks? So, what the Brereton report details exceptionally well is the way that it was hidden in ways of reporting, in the lack of details in reports of daily events, so as to not be scrutinised, and really the involvement of some of the people who, who facilitated that. So, lawyers, for example, or the inadequacy of. The people who were doing investigations when complaints were given, and so as not to, you know, it's not that we're trying to glorify the violence or to kind of be voyeurs, but could you give 
an example of some of the attacks on unarmed civilians that you said weren't in the heat of battle? I mean, the inquiry itself is is heavily redacted at the moment, so I can't talk about too many details. But I think, you know, some of the ones that are shocking and certainly what stayed with me was these incidents that were described as blooding, where those platoon commanders were encouraging or insisting junior soldiers execute prisoners to achieve their first kill. So it was that sort of pattern of behaviour of grooming these junior soldiers for or, or initiating them into the squadron. That's what was very disturbing. Apart from that then, what, what do you think the consequences will be as a result of the publication of, of these findings? Well, I think, I mean, there's a number of consequences. There's certainly consequences for the units involved. General Campbell today talked about the, you know, one squadron being uh, disbanded because of, of what had occurred, of, you know, their unit commendations or citations being revoked for whole periods of time to sort of to demonstrate some collective accountability. There'll obviously be individuals who are prosecuted, but I think also for Australians and, and internationally, there's a there's damage to the reputation of special forces and our army that will take some time to repair. Now, what was the last thing a friend gave you? A lift? A coffee? Well, as we know, things tend to work differently in Hollywood. And in a new interview, the actor George Clooney has revealed that he gave 14 of his friends a million US dollars each because they helped him before he was famous. The BBC's Claire Roanacres reports. Clooney was giving an in-depth interview after being chosen as GQ Icon of the Year and there'd been unconfirmed rumours of his generosity to his friends for years but this is the first time that he's actually spoken out about it. And it all dates back to 2013 when he was in this film Gravity which was a surprise hit and he ended up with wadges of cash. And he said he was single in his early 50s and he's got this huge windfall of money and he said that he'd planned to leave the money to his band of close friends in his will but thought... Why wait? And the way he describes it, it's a bit like a film script. He said he did some research and found a place in downtown Los Angeles that has a vault and, as he described it, pallets of cash lying around. And he got hold of an old florist van and drove it to the site, uh, to the site with a couple of security guards and loaded it up with the cash and packed it into holdalls and drove away. He didn't just hand it over, he called them together and he showed them a map and pointed out all the things that he wouldn't have been able to have done, to have done without him, uh, without them indeed. And he said, how do you reward 35 years of friendship? Here's how. And he handed over the cash. And later, he was asked by an acquaintance why he'd done it. And he said, why wouldn't you? Those stories were part of the Newswrap programme, which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. Todd Harding from our newsroom. Do you want to enjoy a hassle-free retirement? You can enjoy a lifelong guaranteed monthly income with the HKMC annuity plan. After successful application, you can receive the monthly income by the following month at the earliest. A premium discount offer is available now up to December 31st, 2020 for successful applications. Call 2512-5000 to learn more. The plan and the premium discount offer are subject to relevant terms and conditions. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. January to December. We'll have moments to remember. Remember. Remember.
apologize for that break. 